Hello, folks. Hope you've had a fantastic holidays. We are so happy to be back with you. We announced in our last episode of 2018, which was a ripper, and if you haven't checked that out yet, you're missing out on some quality rich banter, that we'd be back on January 10th. Well, we couldn't wait. This is a great opportunity to play you something we've been holding on to for months now. Back in August of last year, I had the chance to go on the excellent podcast, The Blunt Report, and have a chat with science enthusiast and ace conversationalist, Connor Blunt, about climate change, science, pop culture, and how to think about and cope with and live consciously in this time of climate change. I have an admission to make. I'm a podcast addict, but that much should be obvious. So the real admission is I get really frustrated when I listen to some of my favorite podcasts. Because these interesting, engaging people that merrily chat away in my ears have this habit of not addressing climate change at all. Connor was one of those people. I love his podcast, his great interviewing style, the really stimulating topics he explores, but he hadn't addressed what to me, and probably to you, is the elephant in the room. Climate change. But we fixed that. It was such a privilege to interview him, to be interviewed by him, to engage in what turned into a really good conversation. So this one is definitely a little long, but there's a lot of good stuff in here. Next week's episode will be back to the usual climactic style, with some year two refinements. If you liked this though, let us know and we'll aim to bring you more in this style of long form conversation. There will be talk about pop culture, a bit about World War II and World War I, But these are all just tangents that then inform more discussion about climate change. Trust me, they come back around. This was a really good opportunity for me to try to engage a bright, curious mind with the urgency of climate change. Was I successful? Eh, Let's find out. Hey there. How you doing? Now, the talk that I had for today's episode of the podcast has really played on my mind a lot since the time recording and ultimately has really made me question my everyday choices and outlooks to do with this tightrope walk that the world is currently on in relation to our changing climate. And the person who helped sort of bring these new ideas to my attention is a climate change activist and the host of his own podcast, which is very aptly named Climactic. And this guy is what I consider the real deal, stemming from the fact that his whole sort of philosophy surrounding climate is let's stop sitting back and waiting and wishing for others to start solving our problems and let's actually roll our sleeves up and get our hands dirty. Now, today we discuss some of the history surrounding the Earth's changing cataclysmic climate and if society really can mobilize as one to fix this ever-mounting problem. And we also sort of strongly question some of each other's preconceived ideas surrounding climate and how individuals should be combating it. And while we didn't necessarily agree on every point, I think it did a good job of making us question our own ideals. For anyone who is interested in what this guy has to say or really wants to try to make a difference but might not know necessarily where to start, I really recommend checking out his podcast, Climactic, which really attempts to emphasize the point that climate change is the single most pressing problem humanity has on the horizon. The Climactic Podcast offers ways that you can help or make small changes to make a big difference, and also has a stack of really including guests who discuss some of the ins and outs of this problem that we are facing. Now, he's extremely knowledgeable on this topic, and I really enjoy talking to him, and I hope that you enjoy listening as well, so please welcome my guest, the climate conscious, Mark Spencer. Mind-bending chemistry. I don't care, he wants to kill me. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! 
I if I told you a statement like climate change is happening right now, it's the single most pressing thing facing humanity. Uh, society as we know it might be totally different than it is now in 50 years' time. What would you say to that? Um, it's a hard thing to, I guess, answer because I do think that. But I think that for sort of much more complex and deep reasons than maybe a lot of people think are the associations of climate change, whether it be global warming, the ice caps melting and things like that. I think climate change in general um, has some really deep issues within our society that makes it, A, something hard to hard to change, first of all, but B, also something that has... Uh, solutions in places that might not be automatically associated with climate change. And a prime example of this is just the way our monetary system itself works and how we have this notion of buying things, throwing them out, buying things, throwing them out, that is the way that our sort of the money comes in the way that it actually works i think that is an issue with climate change because it's associated with waste it's associated with how much we value things on the earth and things like that yeah yeah that brings up a whole another topic of things so uh ernst and young actually have a whole office um the the famous consultancy firm mm -hmm. that that actually is looking at at climate change accounting and auditing wow. uh, uh, actually trying to account for the true cost of something when it's produced. So, and it's actually amazing you say that you're right. Like we have the whole society now structured around throwaway consumer items, but the the price we're paying at the till is definitely not the price that, say the the producing nation is actually paying. So, you look at places in India with with you know massive pollution through waterways mm. and and polluted air, and and those are all all problems that the society now has to pay for to address. But those weren't priced into the production of the good or not. So I, I think like the whole accounting side is interesting. It just you know it's an interesting aside. You're right that you talk about climate change, you wouldn't think accounting goes no. into the climate change bucket, but it does. Yeah. Um, what you said there with that two pronged answer, like I could I could just talk to you about that forever. I think that's the point of it. I think one of the reasons why it is so difficult to deal with it, deal with and for people to even rationalize whether that be people that disagree with it or agree with it is because it is so much more complex than a whole host of other issues that we might have even had in the past you know what i mean i really do think that's a big part of it that uh, i i think is going to take time for us to even be able to understand how to properly tackle it every facet of it yeah yeah i completely agree with that um so probably to you know just to jump ahead and answer a question maybe you haven't asked yet but like the way I got into this, mm. if, I, if I can, because I haven't really talked much about myself on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you get into this? Thank you. No worries. <laughs> I'll edit that in <laughs> properly in sync. Um, so I, I was a, a homeschooled kid, only child, and I read way too much sci-fi. So that right there is an equation for a very mm. potentially unhealthy person. That's setting something or, up. <laughs> like way too future focused. <laughs> We've seen this before, yeah. <laughs> in, in whom? Like Zuckerberg? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Other famous successful people? Yeah. Oh, no. And then lots of other shut-ins yeah, and introverts and yeah. hermits probably as well. You don't hear about them as much, no. so it's hard to prove. Um, you know, very much untethered from why things are the way they are right now when you can instead like i've always interested in alternate history and what ifs and you know like <laughs> a bit of chaos theory mm. and like you know butterfly flapping its wings kind of stuff and all, all the things you said about the problem being so intractable right now and everything so ingrained in society but i know from talking to you before sitting down is we're both 
huge history fans. Yeah. And society is like society right now almost has no correlation to societies even a couple hundred years ago. I remember you you had this line actually in in a recent show you did where you said was it 1812 and 1912 looked far less different yeah. than 1912 and 2012? Yeah. That's something that sticks in my head a lot in day-to-day life. And I completely disagree. Really? Yeah. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Okay, okay. Okay, this is you know, I've read a bit about World War One and, mm-hmm. and Dan Carlin's World War One story. We, you know, story his his, <laughs> his would, would have been ten hours of <laughs> yeah. audio odyssey. His epic. Yes, yeah. that really showed how by by the time World War One, especially, was coming to an end. You know, at the start of World War One. So yeah, maybe. See, when did World War One actually run? Because nineteen fourteen to nineteen eighteen. Okay, the you are right because nineteen twelve and eighteen twelve. Yeah, you're right. We're completely similar. Yeah. So I take it back completely. But <laughs> but by the end of World War One, society then and now are very 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 similar. Mm. We we had the entire. I, so so if you go watch, <laughs> so if you go watch Peaky Blinders. I know Peaky Blinders, great yes. show. And, and that setting, despite the fact it's it's a bit of an industrial hell, and they're living in an industrial city, Birmingham at the time, and mm. you got sparks falling down from factories that are looming over city streets, like just with electric light and sewage, and like the actual life and that whole factory shift, you know, with the mass urbanization that had happened, like life is pretty similar then to now, mm. and I think a lot of the problems facing us now kind of started then. Absolutely. By the time World War One ended, we'd kind of moved moved past resource limitations being a problem for society. Yeah. Society was able to move into a place of That's abundance a and surplus. Yeah. And I think we've completely lost touch by now, a century later, with the idea that we have to live within our means. Yeah. And while at the same time the world has never seemed bigger to us, we've kind of lost the ability to accurately understand it and measure sizes. So... Uh, just a quick aside: these these California fires going on right now. The the biggest fire in California history was is is running right now. The Mendocino Complex fire. It's three hundred thousand acres, which is the size of the L.A. area, which doesn't to me seem that big. I don't know, like mm. like in terms of geography, you've got yeah a massive sprawling city, and its footprint is the size of the biggest fire in California's history. An amazingly rich history in mm. that place of fire, but. We we just sort of lost perspectives on scale. I think I definitely agree. And like one thing that always um, sticks in my head uh, in general is the way that we live now, and everyone lives around us, and we we view it like it's entirely normal and almost like everyone's been living like this forever. But the reality is, we've only been living with this level of comfort two generations, mainly eighty years ago. Half the population of the planet was being you know, exterminated from World War Two. Before that was World War One. The 1800s, we had countless wars, and people were dying from the flu and very simple illnesses. Uh, we were still worried about being attacked by animals and things like that. I don't know about you, but walking through Melbourne CBD, I'm not too concerned about being attacked by a bear or anything like that. And war isn't really something that's on our doorstep, being a very fortunate first world generally safe country it obviously is for other parts of the planet and um i think what you were saying about us losing the connection to what it really is to be a being on planet Mm -hmm. earth it's completely altered 
I think that's an important point to make. You made that point beautifully. Thank <laughs> you for saving me from that. There. <laughs> Thank you. That's what it is entirely. And I, I guess, I, I guess for me, I, I don't know why. It's probably from a childhood of being quite separate from society, not having those school years to to assume that everything that's surrounding me is normal and a given and and constant. So you think you were quite separate from you, you'd say a normal sort of kid of. That yeah, quite, generation, a, quite yeah. a bit. Simply because yeah, I, I, you know, I wasn't going to school until the age of twelve, so I could, I could read a lot of history, and that was like my passion. So like I was I was reading more and experiencing through history, and especially like audio books early on as a mm. kid. So it was great for. You know, and there's nothing like some audio, some dramatized audio for Definitely. like a kid of eight or nine. For sure, it's great. So I, I was living more in the reality of Americans' Revolutionary War and Civil War times than I was kind of in the reality of, of the mid to late 90s when this was. So I look around now, and you're, you're totally right that we're lucky and we're privileged. I'm, I'm not—don't give that away at all. I, I, I understand how lucky we are. But I'm also now extremely painfully aware of the threat that that's under, and it's so urgent to me because to, to me— Climate change is this big, looming apocalypse. Mm. Honestly, and I think about it in those terms quite a bit. That is, It's right here, and it's sort of like hanging over us. And it's hanging over me. Like, whenever I look out the window, I can see, like, ah, uh, yeah, that, that bus right there, that's, that's, that's part of the machine that's, mm. that's literally melting down our planet right now. And I, I probably do tend to hyperbolize these things, probably, which is why I have conversations with people to kind of bring me down and understand how other people are relating to this and mm. how they might have healthier ways of addressing this than me. Yeah, but I think it's actually, you know, a fair point that you were saying that, yeah, you understand that we're sort of privileged um, and we're so lucky and we're so safe and things like that. But I think that um, is creating some sort of point of diminishing returns in the way that mm -hmm. because we are lucky, because we are privileged, it's actually uh, making a scenario in which we're more at risk because of that. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm thinking because we're so complacent, mm -hmm. because we are so lucky that we don't really sweat too much when we think about things that could potentially, as you said, completely change the way that we live, like climate change. Yep. Mm. Or, or I, would, I would posit as changing us right now, but I... I don't think we're going to change or or not devolve as society mm. but but de-luxurify <laughs> there's a better word for it, or just sort of step back from that co current level of comfort and consumption mm. voluntarily uh, can, can you think of a situation or a time that we've ever done that as as, as western society actually you know chosen to give up some luxuries in pursuit of a, a greater good because i can think of a couple I don't think there's been – there was the famous case with the ozone, how we changed a lot about that. But that wasn't even necessarily giving up a luxury. That was just doing, making better engineering practices, basically. Yeah, but the people actually had to mobilize to change out their light That's bulbs true. and their fridges. That's true. And, and people got on board to do that, mm. I guess, because they were like you know two or three distinct things in your home. You couldn't buy that old hairspray you used to buy anymore. Yeah. But then the same brand would rush out the new – Improved 2.0. And they'd be okay with it. Yeah. yeah. Not polar bear killing. Yeah. Spray. yeah. <laughs> and it was fine. Like, it's kind of weird. We don't seem to be in a rush to do that. Like, PowerShop, like, advertise themselves as the people's power. And they have, like, funny yeah. plays on communist propaganda. They don't yeah. say, PowerShop, we are not killing you. Yeah. Yeah, they don't push it. No. No. And I do think that this comes down to the point that I sort of originally made, that I really do think the problem with climate change specifically is so deeply entrenched to the 
the systems that we have that makes it really, really difficult to actually change. And for the reason, put quite simply, as long as coal and oil and whatever it might be, as long as any practice that might be bad for the environment is cheap, and can uh, get a company a profit, it's always going to be more popular because that is the overarching importance in our society. Mm -hmm. You know, that's always going to be the better option, despite the fact it's short-sighted. Yeah. Yeah. There's simply not enough people who would pay a premium for a non-destructive good. Definitely. And the fact even labeling something as a destructive good is quite subversive. Yeah, yeah, people would not be happy with that. Can you imagine that? Mm. They would be up in arms. And I think this is why it's such like a cliche thing to say, but technology and uh, new engineering and things like that really is the way to curb the issue because as soon as you make solar or whatever else it might be cheaper and a better option, then you throw in the fact that it's not killing your grandchildren You know, in a couple of generations' time, then people are going to want to do it. That is going to always be the overarching factor as long as our society is run the way it is run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But societies change, right? Uh, it's a lot. Kind of like from this historical perspective, the, the way a society can run can be altered oftentimes quite quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, that's accompanied by violence. And, and the, the, kind of, the couple of times I could think of before that we've stepped down a, a rung on the the ladder of social comfort is during World War One and World War Two. Yes. Where in times of mass mobilization, the entire society gives up luxuries to mm. fight some bigger cause. And and I I sadly don't think the human race as a as a biological entity, I don't think we as individuals can mobilize against something that's not understandable like Let's go fight this other human yeah. who we've dehumanized. And Let's fight this other tribe. It's probably quite important as well that not everybody was stepping down in comfort for the war. And the Germans in the Second World War, for example, before the Second World War, they were living in poverty. And one of the reasons that Hitler came to power and people were actually listening to him because their lives were so completely torn apart by the First World War that for them, going into the Second World War was like, okay, things actually might improve. Only for places like Britain and maybe America did they actually have to really step down. So like you were saying, to get the whole human race to mobilize towards one thing doesn't really seem like it's... I'd like to, I don't really want to say it doesn't seem realistic, but it doesn't really. You're right, yeah. it doesn't. So like, uh, to, to jump into like the, the grim reality as I see it, like... And this is why I've I've started my show is to kind of talk myself out of this perspective. Okay. Because it is grim. But um <laughs> <laughs> So I, I really love climate fiction mm. and this whole idea of let's let's just extrapolate out the current trajectory. And thank God for the scientific community for telling us what that is. All the facts are there if you if you want to go look at it. And it's it's grim and it's dark and you should mm-hmm. only do it after you've had a good breakfast. <laughs> and you're okay with losing it. Because yeah. <laughs> You know, it's it's looking like the end of the century. It it looks like a very you know I, I use the term Mad Maxian. Mm. It's um, it's grim, but I, I'm a huge believer in in the ability of the human race to survive. I think we are amazingly adaptable. I think we've got less less power over this planet than we'd like to think we do. I mean, despite the fact we've managed to change the climate already through our efforts, mm. I think I think the planet could still snuff us out. Or well, hey, we're capable of destroying ourselves just fine but i i think we're only going to start to fix this when things get so bad it's unignorable and we are forced off our perch right now Mm. by the situation we've caused when when australia says okay we don't have enough water in the murray darling basin 
to keep up our current level of agriculture. We we have to make a, a cut in industry, and I hope to God we cut animal agriculture, which would have a whole host of side benefits. We say, look, we can afford the water budget for legumes and maize and rice crops and corn and other species that now can survive here because we've freaking terraformed Australia. Mm. Or I'm making up words left and right here, and I'm sorry <laughs> about it, but like European-reformed We've changed the continent completely. Entirely, yeah. Yeah, but those can be sustained here. And I think, you know, I think, you know, I've talked to a couple of water managers up in the, the catchment area for, you know, the the guys who whose job it is to tell farmers every year, you've, you you need to stop using less water. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, in 20, 30 years, well, I'm lucky I won't be doing the job anymore because whoever steps into it for me is going to have to tell a lot of people there's not enough water. It's going to be rough. Yeah. 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 I, I think it's like... The thing with climate change as a whole is, well, I think people think that, um, what's the right way to put this? I think people think that we are destroying the planet, and that is true. But the thing is, the planet is still going to be around once we've been destroyed. The, the, the thing is, it's the ref, the uh, reflection that occurs on humanity, not necessarily on the planet. Um, the planet has been through some much more cataclysmic events than mm-hmm. what humans are necessarily putting it through, and it might almost entirely wipe out x amount of species and things like that and we can be one of those species that's what it is this is things that have happened in the past we are a blip in the planet's you know radar that's all it is so i think people think that it's it's something that's the world as a whole but the reality is it's directly affecting us yeah not directly affecting our timeline exactly yes you're right like i don't think the earth cares more about the current biomass and species than it did about the dinosaurs not at all yeah it's it's doesn't care no it's it's crazy though like you know you can go out to some broader scientific topics for the sake of your smart clued in audience (laughs) with the recent discovery well not exactly proven until we can drill down a mile under mars crust but that there are water lakes under mars surface and you know just reading some articles about that it's like so Mars probably definitely could have supported life earlier, but it lost its magnetosphere. Yes. And so until that happens on Earth, the Earth will continue through cycles of habitability for various different species. Yeah. We're a freaking Petri dish. Yeah. And it's amazing that we had the chance to live here. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, as well, um, also the fact that Mars doesn't have the same atmosphere as us, which is a big deal because of... It's uh, losing atmosphere. Yeah, it's losing atmosphere. Um, The the other point is, as well, just the fact with uh, the ability of a living species to evolve, although we might die out and the current climate that we might make on the earth might be incompatible with 99% of the species, it's going to be that 1% that it is and life will still continue just entirely different to what we expected and not with us. And a perfect example is, is like you said, with the dinosaurs, mm-hmm. um, when that asteroid hit, uh, I think it was basically all four-legged vertebrates above a certain size died out all of them every single one of them and that gave rise to mammals and lucky for us <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah lucky for us um but there's there's absolutely no reason that won't happen again that's true no so so you you can imagine it you can conceptualize it you can articulate it and that's the future we are facing and mm. every realistic projection yeah. so isn't isn't doing something about it now while we still have a chance like the most driving thing we could be doing yeah, but honestly, you know, you're talking before about how you feel like you're a bit uh, gloomy about yeah. it and cynical, but even, it's funny, in my podcast, when we talk about not necessarily climate change, but just 
certain world issues as a whole, um, I have a pretty grim outlook of it as well. Um, I fully believe, and I've said this, I think, in every single podcast I've had so far, so I might as well do it on this one too, but um, I truly think that within maybe my generation is in within my lifetime sorry or the next lifetime something big enough is going to occur that it's going to have a substantial effect on the population and i think there's a whole group of different things uh that, that could include it doesn't necessarily have to just include climate change i think the factor of overpopulation um is something that we don't even talk about yet is, I think, one of the biggest driving factors when it comes to climate change and also to other problems that we have. Certain disease, famine is another point as well, especially when we start to realize that we can't grow food in the same places. Mm -hmm. All these problems. And I think there is going to be some sort of tipping point within the next couple of lifetimes. And that is so gloomy, but, I mean, it's the way I think. We've read enough history to realize that exactly. the times we live in are not normal. So finite. Yeah, and this rare, rare little Goldilocks parade we've got of mm. peace and a global order and global communications leading to good results yeah. rather than bad results. Like, I, I think that's the other thing as well, that people, not necessarily about climate and stuff, but the, what you're talking about with peace and social order, you know, that hasn't you go back even to the 1800s and things were vastly different to how they are now. You know, just with the ability to be, able to be able to kill someone in the street and have no ramifications for it is completely different to where they are today. Yeah, That's right. Ever since we invented the printing press, ever, ever since movable tape yeah. in the 1650s, yeah. if you chose to, you could read the literature of another culture, of another language. You could get an understanding of the human race as being bigger than the little pocket you grew mm. up in. And yet we still had wars fought between cultures that were able to successfully dehumanize the other quite easily quite easily so mm. so i have on one hand this optimism at the time we're in that you know i i can hate what a lot of the russian government's doing but then i can easily listen to a podcast with a there was this really good series from the the telegraph in the uk did this show called borderlands and mm -hmm. they visited all the countries around the periphery of russia and, and into kaliningrad actually which is really interesting to me that little exclave of russia like the the leftover colony yeah. and just talking to people on the street this writer and, and this travel writer and i understood the people and they were extremely humanized to me and it was great and yet i could totally imagine a war still between you know, a european power and russia yeah quite easily yeah and i could imagine the other side being completely castigated and dehumanized especially when you talk to probably those people that have ex maybe not experienced it firsthand but have had family members that have experienced it firsthand and you know I, myself i've been to some eastern european countries and you can see relics of the war that are just still sitting there um still part of everyday life basically still stories about things that happened so it it doesn't feel like it's that far flung but don't i think the thing with me as well in climate change too is i think that that i think one of the reasons it's so hard for us to even attempt to fix it or curb it is just human nature in general don't you think so don't you think human nature is probably one of the biggest factors towards it i, I do absolutely i think our uh, i think the only reason i i say all this stuff is because i grew up kind of in a different pocket of mm. society i wasn't normalized as quickly and if i was i wouldn't be talking about this stuff i think we're extremely we, we 
are an amazing species that, while none, uh, that nonetheless is is tribal, and is social, and if you grow up a certain way, that's the way you'll think. Mm. And and you're right. We we've grown up in times we're we're second generation peaceniks, we're we're second generation prosperous, and we were not exposed to any idea of existential threat outside of us. No, we we were taught that the highest virtue is get a good job, have kids. Give your life, give your kids the life that you had, or or try to improve on it. I think it's really rough for our like our parents' generation right now. Them realizing that, you know, some of them realizing if they read the paper that like, oh, things are tougher now than when I was growing up. Yeah, and and they're not on the same playing ground. I haven't given my kids the world that I grew up with, and and yeah, you've got overpopulation in there, and you've got automation in there, and I think yeah, hu- human nature. You only get people who can see further. People like, uh, yeah, I'll just pull out all the, the greatest hits. Your, you know, your Da Vinci's, your mm. Machiavelli's. It's because they had a bit of an abnormal, outside the norm upbringing and perspective. They didn't just come from nowhere. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think um, I think you're completely right. Like our, we're we're hardwired to try to keep what we have, and unfortunately, yeah. right now, what we have is causing conditions that means yeah. future generations won't have what we have it might not even necessarily be trying to keep what we have although that's obviously a huge factor but also there's a certain uh, i think we forget that we are just animals i think that's one big thing and someone had a podcast with say we were just um what did he say um apes in suits monkeys in suits that kind of thing <laughs> and uh i think that's a big factor because we do want to keep things for ourselves we do want to keep our own safe we do want to look towards our own sort of immediate group whether it's tribal or whether it's not um more than anything else and to be able to expand our outlook onto the whole planet and all these different cultures and people i think is difficult for humans to do purely because it's just not in our brain to be able to do that yeah, it's mm-hmm. never been a possibility no. before. And Biologically, it's not normal for us, I think. Yeah, because we're one of the first generations to do it. Mm. Okay, And I'm speaking so outside of my kin here, like mm. talking science and yeah. evolutionary biology. But the the capacity hasn't been there long enough to naturally select for for it because it has yet to give any advantage. There, yes. There's no benefit yet for having a broader perspective than within your, your tribe, within mm. your socioeconomic class, within your job, within your family. It hasn't shown yet that those people are more successful yeah. at having offspring. Yes. <laughs> and, and so like, it comes down to. That's right. Yeah. And, and so the, I think for us to be adapted and to live within this situation, this, this geopolitical kind of backyard we've built for ourselves, we've, we've tamed the whole planet think to be able to act responsibly with that power and be able to shepherd that and nurture it for centuries, mm. we would have had to already have it for centuries. And we've had it for three, four generations. Tiny amounts of time. The telegram, that that was the moment that everything changed. And we, that was you know, the 1800s, mid-1800s. Yeah. And yeah, yeah we, just, we just don't know how to act good with this thing. It's, this is very obelisk, you know, 2001. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, that helps me frame it quite a bit, and I, I think it, it's kind of deepening my will, well of cynicism a little bit, because I don't think we will be able to keep this until we've lost it and had to claw our way up mm. and regain it. And that worries me, because World War One to World War Two is one generation. 
We're now two generations away, and we've forgotten completely. I think our generational memory is so short. Oh, it's tiny. Yeah. Yeah. I, to try and decrease our cynicism, how about that? <laughs> I'd appreciate the yeah. attempt. My hope is, and it sounds almost like a negative thing on the surface, but my hope is that, again, back to technology, we're going to have these huge, difficult things as a result of technology, which is then going to force us to change the way that humanity lives. And like I said, on the surface, it's going to sound bad. Perfect example of this is mechanization. The fact that we are going to lose jobs. Jobs are going to start disappearing because as a business owner, if I could have one staff member who works eight hours a day and I've got to pay him this much, or if I could have a machine that can do the same job 24 hours a day for zero, I know which one I'm going to choose. It's just going to be a natural progression. Um, Artificial intelligence is another point as well. Things like this that are going to really strongly impact the way we live. I'd like to think that it's going to create a scenario in in which we have to sort of look to the future a little bit and have to go, okay, well, we're building for things that we're not quite sure how it's going to work. So what's the perfect way we can do it? And hopefully we can fit in more empathetic, climate smart ideas into that, if that makes sense. And like I said, like with mechanization, you know, we can think about ways we can do that that also benefits the planet, not just the worker or the company itself. Do you have any kind of, of reason to hope for that? Um, I, I just, I just, the reason I hope for it is because I know that these things are going to happen, um, because they are fueled by capitalism. So they're definitely going to happen. Uh, like I said, mechanization and AI are going to happen whether or not we like it. And there's people talking about, we should slam the brakes on AI because we don't know how, uh, you know, how it's going to react to our world and what's going to happen. You don't have a choice in that. If you can make money off AI, people are going to make AI, whether it's a guy in his basement or IBM or something like that, someone is going to do it. So I think these massive upheavals in the way that we live are definitely going to happen. And I think in that scenario, it's much more likely that we can create a situation in which we go, okay, we should probably fix climate change while we're at it. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I I don't know enough of the specific history, but I'm going to conjecture here that the New Deal in America uh, at the height of the Depression and then helping it to become the tail end of the Great Depression was a good thing for society. The mm. society that happened after that was better. It was more equipped for the future. We had the interstates. We had giant hydroelectric projects. And if we knew that the Great Depression was coming, which is basically what you're laying out here, that you know m- jobs on a massive scale will mm. be lost, it's a complete inevitability at this point, and I completely agree. The technology exists, the capacity exists, therefore it will happen. That's always been the nature of yep. human beings. Um, you're right. I, I think I think we can turn that to a good outcome. And I think that in in my desire to kind of look for a climax to things, a, a inciting event, a catastrophe from which things can get better, because I don't see any other way to break a status quo. Definitely. Like, you know, you you could have had Martin Luther King out there doing rallies every day for 30 years. And if a riot didn't happen or or some some inciting incident to catch the public's attention didn't happen, I think it would have just carried on indefinitely. With really that good effort. point. Um, so, yeah, right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that will be the time to actually address a lot of these things mm. that are going on because the current system is broken. Luckily, the system is going to be broken very soon. Um, and and I, I tend to look towards things that 
that I see happening. Granted, a lot of the a lot of the damage, a lot of the the things that are happening right now about climate change are happening to third world countries, yeah. developing countries, marginal and marginalized places that have been having to make do and, and have lacked long term planning their entire existences because they've been hard scrabble and in survival mode. Uh, they're starting to affect developed countries, and and luckily the timing there might line up very well. That it's. Uh, I've been called up on this a lot by friends who are speaking from this place of privilege, being like, yeah, it's, it sucks to be living in Bangladesh, mm. but they're not in a position to change it, and we're not going to be changing it because, well, say what you want about uh, Afghanistan being a terrible war, which I, I would say it is, the longest-running war in American history, but the U.S. poured $40, 50000000000 billion into development money with good intentions, mm. and it got the country absolutely nowhere. Mm. There's a ring road around Kandahar that they had to rebuild three times because it keeps getting blown up, and this is a, a gigantic highway. I, I don't think developing things for other countries ever really works. Mm. Like, like, take the Marshall Plan. It was a success because we empowered local industry to do the job, and we built Germany into, once again, yeah, yeah. the industrial superpower it is now. Mm. Um, you're right. Basically, in... I <laughs> the long-winded version of that is is through all my convoluted levels of does this correspond with my kind of sci-fi outlook? Yeah. Yeah, I think anthropologically, I think when we deal with an employment crisis, we'll have to deal with cuz what's more fo- foundational and fundamental to the society we live in than the concept of work? Money. Yeah. 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 Mm. Because yeah, it, it stops being a thing of well, money used to be a reward for, for capital, and, and that capital could include labor. So as a worker, I don't have capital in terms of funds. I've mm. got labor I can provide to you for money. But if, if that labor element's gone completely, either we just—it's Elysium, which for all its faults <laughs> is a perfect distillation of the one side yeah. of things. Or, or we, you know, go a bit more yeah. benevolent and egalitarian, and, and that'd I, be nice. I think the thing is as well, kind of going off what you said, I think— trying to be a bit more positive about humans in general, I think one of the big factors is the diffusion of responsibility because it is not one person's fault, yet each person can have an influence, yet that influence is also very small. So it's like this weird trade-off. And this diffusion of responsibility does make it hard for people to actually act because... China, for example, could be like, why should we do anything about the pollution that we have when the U.S. is over here doing this, that, and the other? The U.S. can say the same to India, and you can say the same to Russia. Russia, You know, it's that never-ending cycle. And then you can also argue back and forth between the individual to the corporation as well. It's like, well, the individual doesn't want to buy the, you know, sustainably grown this, that, and the other, so why should we even try and sell it? And then on the other side, the individual can say to the corporation, you're not providing us enough opportunities to get it better. So it's the diffusion of responsibility that makes it a big issue too. So maybe when it comes down to the wire about things like work and where your money is coming from, because it is hitting individuals much harder, that that might actually be go, be the catalyst that makes people go, okay, this is time to actually do something because you can't really blame anyone else when it's directly affecting you, you know? That's true. Yeah. I agree completely with the with responsibility for this this you know massive mm. global problem being an issue because no one wants to feel like you're blaming them for being part of it yeah. even though everyone is. I'm emitting carbon. You're emitting carbon. Mm-hmm. 
I, I just had this idea, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how vivid this is going to be, but like a thought experiment of, say it's it's World War II, you're, you're a crew member on the Japanese Imperial battleship Yamoto, mm-hmm. and you're one of the, the coal loaders, and you're shoveling coal into the furnace. And let's say the Yamato's in a battle, it gets damaged, it gets captured, and you're hauled up onto a, a U.S. Navy ship, and they said... You, you, you're a member of the enemy. We're going to send you to prisoner of war camp. Mm-hmm. And they say, I, I, I didn't do anything. I never fired at you. I never tried to take a life of you. I'm not a combatant. I, I just was down there shoveling coal. Mm-hmm. And they say, no, you, you wear the uniform. You're, you're on the ship. You're going the direction of everybody else. You're making the ship move Exactly. As well. You're yeah. very responsible. <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of feel like that. A lot of the time, and I'm not sure if I'm if I'm burdened by trying to wear too much responsibility, mm. but I feel it. It's a very direct connection between if I were to get on a plane tomorrow, I am actively involved in putting emissions into the high stratosphere, definitely doing one of the most damaging things human apes can do to the planet we live on. Mm. I'm actively degrading our biosphere and our ability. <laughs> to habitate the planet. Mm-hmm. So how does that work if I want to be like a responsible member of yeah, society? Yeah, definitely. So many other people don't want to think about it that way, but I, I have thought about it that way, and I, I kind of own it. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I, I can't do that in good conscience. I can't, I can't catch a bus because of the same reason. Because the diesel it's putting out is one of the worst pollutants we can put into city streets. Mm-hmm. It's actively causing kids to have asthma mm-hmm. and shorter lifespans. So <laughs> does does that work as a metaphor? Like... Are are we all cho- you know like I, I I didn't choose to go into the Japanese Navy to try to kill Definitely. Americans. I was just trying to do a job, just like everyone just mm. in society wants a job. Mm. But we don't want to take responsibility for what that job means and and living a life that is resulting in things, and yet we we don't want to take responsibility for it. But like on a personal basis, do you think the fact that you think in that way? Do you think that gives you a benefit in the way that you uh, maybe think more rationally about climate change? Do you think so? Maybe in terms of thinking, but in yeah. terms of a benefit to lifestyle, definitely not. Definitely not. Because I'm running contrary, right? Definitely. Like I, I'm going against the grain, yeah. swimming against the current, and mm. I'm, I'm not fitting in with the rest of society. Mm. Mm. And society is designed to work one way, mm. and everyone's meant to go down that path. I think the thing is with that as well, it's so tricky. Again, the diffusion of responsibility. I had a friend of mine that works for one of the bigger mines in Queensland, for example. And I remember once he was staying in a hotel somewhere. I can't remember the exact scenario, but we all went out for the day and we're out all day. It's super hot it's in Queensland. We get back and he had left the air conditioner on all day. And I was so angry at him. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I do it all the time. I always leave the air. I want it to be cool when I get back. And I'm like, mate, that is so irresponsible. And he's like, Connor... At work, when I go to work tomorrow, I build the machines that rip holes in the ground. The amount of damage I'm doing to the planet from this air conditioner is so monumentally small versus that that it's it's not even it's not even a question. They're not even comparable. And the problem is he's right and wrong at the same time. He's wrong because it's the wrong outlook to have, and maybe the outlook that you have is the right way, the right thing to sort of think about it. But at the same time, he's right in the way that an individual can have such a tiny, unless they do something incredible, unless they're a genius engineer or whatever it might be, them just deciding to cycle or doing whatever else doesn't actually have that much of an effect. It's the collective 
power of it. So who's right? Who's right to say that I'm sort of waiting for the countries and the governments to start, you know, giving me the options to do things in a cleaner way, which which is the right one? I don't know. You know? I've got a strong opinion. Yeah. You, won't, you won't be surprised. Give it to me. I, I think he's completely right in terms of stats. Mm, stats for sure he's 100%, right. A hundred percent. Like, if you were to quantify it, his decision to run an AC a few hours longer is is that there's too many zeros after that mm. dot to fill a page. Yeah. But he's completely wrong morally. And and I'll I'll try to you know uh, not to find a metaphor and just keep using it till I die, but like <laughs> you know, if you if you go to the Hague as as a Nazi official and you killed a hundred people and the person next to you killed a thousand, shouldn't you get a lower sentence than him? Like mm. shouldn't you be a little less of a war criminal? Like and and also like you know someone who works in in that industry that is doing such profound damage to our home planet and i i i'm i should rephrase here cuz people get really uncomfortable with with crunchy hippie sort of terminology and mm-hmm. even i do as well like the whole spiritual element is is tough to grapple with cuz i want to approach it more logically so i'll just say he's working in in an industry that Every everything economically says won't exist in a hundred years. Is right now any new investment of dollars into it is a dollar thrown down that giant mm-hmm. hole along with the machinery. We've got enough machinery already. Like we we've been in growth mode mm. for over a hundred years, mm-hmm. and and now there's the new developments are in sustainables and the technology is there. So I I think what he's what he's doing is is. I think you should be looking to transition to mm-hmm. a new job soon, but uh, had a really good story. The comedian Eddie Izzard has this great thing where we we stop being horrified by people who kill thousands of people, and we stop start becoming impressed. Mm. You're like, oh, I, I I killed a person this morning. Oh my God, you're terrible. You're a murderer. I killed five people this week. Oh, you're a complete psychopath. You don't belong in our society. Joseph Stalin, I killed three million people. Well, you must have gotten up very early in the morning. Mm, yeah. And like, yeah. you must be so busy. Like, what's on your schedule? It's murder, 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 mm. breakfast. Murder, 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 murder. That's <laughs> directly from his, his bit. But like, I don't think it's unfair to hold people responsible because we all know like we we all know like the facts have been out for it, it's amazing talking to people especially who work at like climate reality project the al gore group and like an inconvenient truth came out 12 years ago mm. we, and it's amazing how long it's taken for action and now things are happening but but it's taken 12 years to fully percolate through society and, and everybody knows climate change mm. we all don't like talking about it now because probably there's a direct relation between knowing the facts and wanting to engage with them. Like, before you know how bad the problem is, you're like, oh, that's really interesting. So mm. the climate's changing and oh, sea level's rising. That's, that's, that's interesting. And it is. Oh, the things are so bad that we need to change things now. I'm, I, want, I want you, random person on the street, to trade in your life of certainty and the job you have and the lifestyle you have and knowing where your kids are going to go to school and how you're going to get them there because you're mm. going to drive them down the SUV. I want you to give it all up. For complete uncertainties, and and you're right, the government does need to step in and tell us how to do this. But the government's not going to do it until the people send a signal to say we want the change. Mm. So the guy who does ride his bike to work, those are the kind of people I like to interview because they are my heroes. Mm. Because for me, in those twelve years, I would talk about it. 
I'd talk about it ad nauseum. I wouldn't do anything because I knew that it didn't matter. Mm. But seeing other people actually do it and tell me about it inspired me to do it. And so me doing it now, I'm hoping that other people will be inspired to do it too. Because the problem is too big to be put off by the fact that your inconvenience to your lifestyle yep. won't matter. Because what are you going to tell your grandkids? Mm, like, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's happening right now. Like, if so, so I, I said to you before we started recording, I, I rode my bike over here, and that doesn't make me a hero. I just wanted to get here quicker than by the tram. Mm. It was great, and I rode on sidewalks, and I broke lots of laws because <laughs> the infrastructure here sucks for riding bikes, and yes. I can see why a lot of people don't do it. But I was listening to a podcast where there was an interview with uh, a lady, uh, a young couple, husband and wife, who barely got out of Redding, California in time to escape the Mendocino fire, which is right now... As you listen to this, it might be next month you're listening to it, it's still burning. Mm. It's 40% contained, it's 300,000 acres. It's the size of L.A. She barely got out of that city in time. And and hearing her talk about the fact that, so I got back to my block, and the cops had lined it all off, and they weren't allowing anybody through. People were throwing their possessions, literally throwing them into their yeah. car to get out in time. And you could just hear the disbelief in her voice. Like... This doesn't happen in Redding, California. This doesn't happen in the United States. This is this is something from Lahore, Pakistan. Yeah. This is something for for those marginal people. But this is happening in the largest economy in the world. Well, in the fourth largest if California was its own country. Definitely, right? yeah. I've and they that, can't yeah. stop a fire the size of LA with all those resources. What's Australia going to do? What, what's yeah. anybody going to do? Yeah, I think it talks about the uh, the power of fire in general. It's like before we turn the mics on, we're talking about the uh, statistics of this fire in California, how like ridiculously powerful everything is. And like what you said as well, that it's something that we just actually have no control over. You know, it's not even like, okay, maybe we could try and do this. It's like, no, you stop it where you can and you wait for it to finish. And that's the way it is. The funny thing is, we, you, yeah, you can understand it when it reaches this point, but you do have control over it because we all chose to get on the bus 10 years ago. Mm. We all chose to, through our money and our time, allow for actions to happen mm -hmm. that released greenhouse gases that then caused the ecosystem in California to dry mm -hmm. out. And we have record-breaking forest fires. Mm. We have fire years, not fire seasons. Yeah, the the link there is is quite clear to me. I don't know what to do with it now, but I think getting to that point of like, wow, isn't it weird how the weather is so crazy now? It's yeah, like, yeah, that's because of the way we've all lived mm. since World War One, since industrial agriculture, since industry, since the industrial revolution. Yep, this is all a very direct reaction. Mm -hmm. And and once I think once you embrace that, I think you then have the ability to change something. About yeah, it. yeah, I definitely I definitely agree. And I like what you said before about uh, the morality. How um, statistically, my friend was right, but on a moral standpoint, he wasn't right. However, I, to play like devil's advocate a bit, I do definitely think. Yeah, yeah I do definitely think that um, um, the big the biggest change is going to come about from. Um, changes in legislation and uh changes again to to 
go back to it, changes in the way that we actually work as a society to uh, remove a bit of power from huge corporations that can pollute just as much as they want because they've got so much money. They can do what they want to the earth. And, uh, you know, there's sort of countless examples of this. And um, I, I think that's probably a good way to sort of battle it a little bit to for the individuals to have the correct morality so when they do have the opportunities um, put in front of them to make the right choices um, for the climate, it will actually be there, um, I guess is probably what I'm, the way I probably try and think about it myself. I, I think. completely agree. Mm. I, I think the solutions start at that big level, mm. but that's probably step five or six Definitely. In, in the solutions chain. Mm. And the first few are all about public awareness. Mm. And this, you know, I've harped on about this probably on my show probably a bit too much, but like until everybody knows, and I think we're at that stage now, everybody knows. And now we have to make everybody care. Surely everyone doesn't know. Well, I don't okay. think so. It's, I think it's so political. I think it's another big problem with it. The left and the right. It's like it's like there's a group of beliefs beliefs that you should have if you're in the right, and there's a group of beliefs that you should have if you're in the left. And if you're in the right, it's climate change doesn't isn't a thing. Especially in America, right? Especially, and I, I feel <laughs> a lot. Okay, uh, just to quickly, a lot of America's problems for the last generation have been an educational failing. I mm. think. I mean, you you cannot think there's just a big question mark in the air where mm-hmm. where you've got these two bits of data. Uh, we've got a public school system that's chronically underfunded, huge disparities in in teaching quality and education quality between mm-hmm. rich and poor, and then. Uh, a complete breakdown in the democratic society, the voter engagement, voter awareness. Yeah. Like how can like how do people look at those two data points and think they're not directly correlated? No. I, I don't know. It's an amazing country. Uh, it's uh, amazing in promise and amazing mm. petri dish. Yeah. And yeah. Like, it's it's on the extreme of every sort of within itself. Anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Even just like the amazing things that they produce. I actually can't think of another country that is more different from its like within itself. Yeah. It contains such yeah. ranges and extremes. Yeah, exactly. It's Definitely it's truly agree. bizarre. Yeah. It like is. I mean like Russia gets close. I mean like you've got you've got the Asian Russia and the European Russia. Mm. But there's there is actually a big big nothing in the middle. Imagine yeah. they're kind of in their own spheres. Yeah, you've got Siberia in between. Yeah, and but the thing is, in America, we we tend to think uh, there's there's the left coast. <laughs> that's where I'm from, mm. and the east coast, and we we all call it the left coast. That wasn't a, a mistake. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, lefties on the left coast, obviously. Yep. <clears throat> um, and, and a big nothing in the middle, but there's you know tens of millions of people there who are like yeah. stuff. You guys. Yeah. What about us? Yeah. 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 We lived here. Yeah. We're the ones who weren't foolhardy and yeah. rushed off for the gold rush. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's we're right. the ones who stayed to make food. I, I definitely think that is another problem with climate change is the way that it is associated so strongly with politics. Mm-hmm. Um in the way that yeah, you get like I said, the right is so associated with not thinking climate change is a thing. Um and then the left is what well. I do I I really do think they've handled it terribly. Terrible at media. Yeah. Terrible at communication, it's true. And the thing is um, although they might generally have the right gist, as in they think that climate change does exist, whereas I think the right their might, facts are right. That, yeah, exactly. But I can't imagine the majority of people on the left are sitting down, really trying to understand 
maybe what reading papers. What it means, exactly. Kansas, yeah. They just they just hear, that, okay, well, I'm pro this science or this science, and this is what I've heard, and this is what I'm telling. So I think that the way that they have handled it is terrible too and is counterproductive. This is important. Why is it important? Go read this paper. Did you? No. Exactly. But I believe the science. Like, I've been that guy, mm. and I've heard that before. And you're right. It's, it's no way to communicate. No. All right. Just to quickly play devil's advocate back to you, and, and not that you're the, the avatar for all this, but <laughs> you know, I, I'm sitting here, and I'm trying to make the claim that once you know, you then have to be told why you should care, or, mm-hmm. or it should be invoked in you, that sense of caring, by thinking, oh, if this is real, all right, how do we make this tangible? Let's think about the next generation. Let's think about grandkids. Let's think, if, if I am doing this activity in my life, which is why I'm, I'm really mad at people who are like, oh, I'm going to flit off here for a holiday and there for a holiday, and I'm like, nothing, nothing in the factual world right now is saying that you doing that activity isn't reducing the chances of future generations being able to do that activity. Mm-hmm. So why do you deserve it more than future generations do? Mm-hmm. Why do you get to have it and not other people? And if you and if other people don't get to have it, shouldn't you rethink why, like, should you do it? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the way I kind of approach it. And, and I, I agree that the politics are polarized, and I am I, trying to take a more personal view. Uh, but you say the, the best solution and, like, the, the way this is all going to kick off and really start is at the political and the corporate level. Mm. And yet at the same, you've got, you've got two things in your hand there. You've got the politics of it are screwed up, and it's true. And the solutions to the problem are coming from the political sector. Mm-hmm. And we, we can't wait for that anymore. No. Like, we had a chance to do it 30 years ago when it was simply a science topic. But then it went, I think the problem is, so the ozone layer it went from the science to the culture, through the media, to the mainstream. And then it became a political topic. Mm. Because the, poli- the political layer picked it up because it was something that people cared about. And they cared about it because the science said, here's an impact that's relevant to you. And I think what's happened with wider climate change, because it's wider and it's so big and the revelations kind of dripped out slowly, mm-hmm. sadly, probably with some interference at the lobbying level. You know, this didn't happen by accident, but it still would have been a miracle if it happened as well as, Definitely. say, the ozone hole. That It went, OK, scientific revelation. Here's some research. Here's what's going on. Boom. Straight into politics. Oh, but that means if we act on this, we're going to lose jobs. Therefore, it, it can't happen. Mm. Why can't it happen? Oh, the science is bad. The science isn't bad. Uh, well, let's just keep arguing about the science for another 20 years. Mm. And it just got stuffed up completely. So yeah. it, it now it, we've got to get it out of the science realm. And we've got to get it out of the political realm as well. And I, I want to take, I want to get better and then take the opportunity to talk more, talk to more people who feel defensive about climate change because mm. i understand it like so frequently with this topic the the matrix comes up mm-hmm. and, and you've woken up to it you've had your your red pill moment and you you are aware of the reality that the climate is changing and oh my god that affects everything mm. that means that we cannot live like this indefinitely we're not a sustainable society mm-hmm. the society we in we're in right now has an expiry date i find myself quite often being jealous of people who aren't in that reality. Yeah, okay. Isn't that easier? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like, it's hard being a chicken little. Mm. But also being right. Mm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> the sky is falling, the sky is falling, but but really, it yeah, yeah, it is. I think the thing is as well, and this goes back to like the very first thing that I said, that um, the problem is so more 
it's got so many roots in so many different things. And I think that is one of the reasons why it's so hard to tackle and why we're having such a hard time. But for me, I, and I've talked about this a stack of times before, I am a science-based person. Mm -hmm. And I really, truly, truly do believe that the world needs to have more of a fact-based and scientific outlook on everything. Mm -hmm. And it's something that humans have a hard time with. We've obviously got much better with it because, you know, technology drives our entire living at the moment, but it's still something that we have a hard time with. Yeah, we're not understanders of that technology, though. We're users of it. That's right, exactly. Luckily, we've had a whole class of people step in to do UX. Exactly. To to speak the language of the machines and translate it for us. Yeah, but the fact of that sort of skepticism of being able to ask questions and be able to understand things on a different level, I think is something that I think if if more of the population had this climate change wouldn't be like a debated issue whatsoever and i think it would have been solved a lot sooner so i think that's another big point as well that the way that we actually view like you were saying the sky is falling the sky is falling i think being able to rationally look at that is a big point that humans tend to have a bit of a hard time doing this is true Mm. you with your science uh not background you with your sort of science footing Outlook, shall we say. Yeah, there you go. You with your scientific perspective. Mm -hmm. Is the science in any doubt for you? Is like the severity of the situation in any doubt? Well, the the thing is with a lot of science is, um, first of all, once you get to sciences like climate science or biology, the research that you do is a little bit more difficult than it might be for physics, for example, because physics is very clean cut. Gravity is there. This is how much it works by. Is, is it, though? Yeah, well, the Earth's flat as well. Can you show me? <laughs> I can, if you just jump. <laughs> um, but when it comes to biology and stuff, if you say something like, uh, if you eat candy every day, you're going to have a high chance of heart disease, it's quite hard to isolate those variables because that person could also not exercise, and that's why they got heart disease and things like that. And because climate is such a complex thing, not only is it warming, not only is it pollution, not only is it this, that, and the other, it's so complex that I guess it's difficult to sort of quantify as easily. You know what I mean? Because it's not like it's not like this is definitely happening. There's lots of different facets. And climate change is 100% happening, whether it's on a pollution standpoint. As we've talked about the other day, there's cities in China where you literally cannot breathe the air because it is damaging you. You know, you can't do that. Um, Temperature, we know about that. We know about more extreme weather events. There's obviously what you'd call debate within that. How severe is this? When will this occur? But the actual overarching opinion or sort of result is the same. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So, so yes, the the overall yeah, the, there are difficulties within it, as if, with all if, scientific concepts. Yeah, if you think like human biology is difficult and mm. complicated, like Earth systems, mm. weather systems, climate systems, is is more complicated so by complex, a factor of I don't even yeah, know. and yet absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard, you know, when you when you're talking to a scientist who naturally doesn't want to make false claims, yeah, and doesn't want to be exaggerative. So it gets you in massive trouble, as we've seen. Mm-hmm. And, and it's great we've got that school of thought and that discipline, and we got practitioners of it like you in our society. Mm-hmm. So good for us. But granted, we've got the high-level truths established. Isn't that the most important thing to be we could be working on right now? Definitely. 
Yeah, there's no two ways about that. But I think this is what I was saying before about uh, the skepticism um, and having a scientific mind with everything. Humans struggle with it. And perfect example of examples of this is like psychics, for example. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like psychics is a huge business still, even though there's obvi- it's there's obviously no evidence at no all. That, yeah, merits. exactly. Yep. Even though you'd be happily you'd happily look up psychics on your mobile phone that has you know, or even like again back to flat Earth, you know, you're tweeting about the flat Earth on your phone that's sending a message up to a satellite that's orbiting around our spherical Earth about the flat Earth. There's some weird human thing where we can choose to block out what we want, and that whether that goes because it aligns with certain beliefs slant political reasons or be just because you want it to be true so much it's yeah i think that definitely happens with climate change so, so can i ask you an un- uncomfortable question please i didn't want to be doing a show about climate change mm-hmm. i i've been listening to podcasts since i was 13 i love sci-fi i love star wars yeah. i wanted to have like chats with funny people about fun stuff mm-hmm. climate change is not fun <laughs> it is not but i felt compelled to do it mm-hmm. i felt i had to when i found there was this green fields of nobody taking the time to talk to normal people about how they felt about climate change mm-hmm. how they overcame the sense of despair i was feeling and how they got on with it so i i kind of felt myself in a situation where i had to do it so you've got a show that i am very jealous of where mm-hmm. you get to have Fun chats with interesting people about any topic. Mm-hmm. You grant that this is the, the most important thing we could be doing right now. What is the most important thing? We could be working on the fact that the that life is becoming less sustainable on this planet day by day mm-hmm. due to the daily actions of 7.5 billion people. Yep. You're not addressing that directly in any way. Mm-hmm. And, and granted, I'm looking at your show. Maybe you are in other points of your life. Maybe you, know, you, you do recycling and stuff. Mm-hmm. Is this, if you actually were to classify it, is this action you're taking as a consequence of willfully ignoring the threat? Mm. Um, now, for me, I don't think just talking about climate change would solve climate change at all. I think, like like I said before, I think it's a deeper problem that has so many other facets. I think that we wouldn't even be discussing climate change if people were more scientific or just not necessarily more scientific, but just looked at things in a different way. Um, I think if people were more maybe empathetic or had more foresight, we wouldn't be discussing climate change. Uh, So in my mind, um, talking about more subjects than climate change, provided they're important, is probably helping climate change more than uh, if you were just discussing nonsense, if that makes sense. I think talking about things in general works towards a certain, I guess, end goal. And my other point is as well is that uh, although climate change is a big issue, that is not the only human issue. For example, human suffering is a... uh, if I had the choice between having humanity be around for thousands more years because we've stopped climate change, but in that time, people are living like they did in ancient Rome or something like that, a horrible, dying young, suffering, rape, all these sort of things, then I would choose 
for humanity to be wiped out much earlier. I would prefer to sort of erase suffering, have a better standard of living, even if that's shorter. And that might not that might be kind of controversial in some ways, but I think that suffering um and a whole host of other sort of human questions and human issues is as important as climate change um, in a different way. Yeah, uh, That is a very interesting philosophy yeah. to add to it. I, both being fans of history, mm. I'd say that you know, suffering and human history have always been very closely interlinked. Mm, definitely. Un- until quite recently, we've had a bit of a break from it. Mm-hmm. But I'd say the prospect of longer human existence and more potential and opportunity for dozens of additional generations Mm -hmm. is definitely preferable to going out on top. Definitely. So uh, let me just make sure I I got what you were saying there, though. You say that if if we were to carry on from a cataclysm in in a state of, of dystopia, of mass human suffering i mean much worse than than the roman empire if we were to go back to mm-hmm. to feudal warring states on the serengeti mm-hmm. or to be wiped out completely which which would you prefer because i i thought i got from that that you'd rather us to to go out yeah i would um i think suffering is an important factor and the reason i think it is and this is to i guess to put a question back to you as humans aren't we sort of um Aren't we sort of selfish in some respect for thinking that um, climate change is that big of a deal when the reality is the earth and the human race and what happens here is so mind-bogglingly insignificant? It's so unimportant. And you'd think that maybe if there was, for example, life elsewhere and they were much more advanced than us, they would be thinking about things more on a, the scale of the universe. So for you to think that the biggest issue is um, climate change, is that kind of a selfish outlook? It's a very good question. I've got, a, <laughs> I've got an answer like ready to go. Please. I, I don't think where we're at right now, even though we're, we are, and you can put all your you know kooky Atlantis theories away, listeners. I'm sorry if any of you are going to be estranged <laughs> by this, but we're at the height of achievement ever achieved by the human race right now we've got we've got probes orbiting multiple celestial bodies we've Mm -hmm. got just an amazing level of science and technology but i don't think we are at the potential of the human race i think we can go much further we've got so many promising things on the horizon but talking about whether or not climate change is is selfish for us to worry about i think it's very linked to the fact we are a um, a rapidly developed primate species that very recently, 60,000 years ago, started to develop, mm-hmm. that had a, a language revolution that then started farming and then recently started building industry. I think we're at the point now, and we, we've been at it for a couple of generations, so we kind of forget about this, and it seems a little kind of Cold War nostalgic to bring up the fact that ever since we've had nukes, we could not only destroy ourselves we could theoretically destroy every living thing on the planet mm-hmm. and i know we you know maybe you know cockroaches and stuff would exist yeah and stuff. yeah and and for the most part yeah and, and i i can't remember whether we could theoretically physically destroy the planet or not but even if we couldn't with the power we wield is, is amazing 
But because we've got the potential now to destroy ourselves, if you look at the Fermi paradox, which everybody loves, who's into sci-fi and everything, you know, if if you've got this potential limitless, if if the chances of alien life are basically infinity, if it's almost certain, why haven't we heard? Why haven't mm-hmm. we made contact? And I I am really worried. We're at a tipping point. We're at the Great Filter, and we could easily not carry on past this point. I think this is the crucible. I think the there's so many other problems. It's true. We're still hugely unequal. There's still suffering. There's you know treatable diseases. Mm-hmm. Malaria is still a thing. But those are all symptoms of of human society on a tribal level. Those are just those are just things that are natural byproducts of us. I mm-hmm. think climate change is the natural byproduct of all of us reaching this saturation of 7 billion. This is still a problem when we were at 3 billion people. I think climate change is sad. It's it's probably one of the most fixable things we're addressing right now because all it takes is a transition from a really great fuel source we found 100 years ago that gave us a lot of luxury and all we have to do momentarily is to contract a little move to something else and then start expanding again Mm -hmm. it's quite simple at a a macro level what we have to do but if we don't achieve this and if we do hit our great filter and if we do stop the planet that we developed on being suitable for us through our own actions through our own activities that is as intensely sad to me. Mm. I think it's entirely avoidable, and we could become a a spacefaring race. We we like this. It could be us. Like, mm. look at the amazing path we've taken in the last sixty thousand years. I think we are an incredible species, and yet I, I totally agree that it's it's human nature that's caused the problem right now. But God, I feel like it's so transcendable. Mm. And I think it's been a failure of, of yes, planning. It's been uh, this, this luxury trap we've fallen into for the last two generations. I think it's a failure in education. And it's it's been a, I, I don't know what else to call it, really. Mm. But, yes, in answer to your question, I think it would be a friggin' tragedy if we don't fix climate change. Because if we don't, I, I haven't yet had anybody or, or anything contradict me that if things go on business as usual by even a couple more decades, we are going to start fighting over resources mm-hmm. because there won't be enough for us. Yeah. And automation won't fix that. In fact, it'll make it worse. It'll mean one faction has the ability to take more control yeah, yeah, yeah. than the others and have more power. I guess sort of just reframing the way I was thinking. So I think the biggest human pressing issue is definitely climate change you know in terms of what has the biggest effect on the most people definitely climate change so i don't think I, I, you'd be pretty hard pushed to find any other sort of and, and future generations for future me that's generations the biggest well. thing it's it's the viability of human life that's but, the biggest risk but this is my thing that i was sort of thinking about when i was talking about trying to pose the issue in a different way is why should we stop climate change for you because of future generations is it or because we can Mm-hmm. Because we've got so much potential as a species. But why? Why should we? Um, we should we should stop climate change because human beings have the potential to do so much more, and this presents a massive 
opportunity for us to cease our forward momentum. Mm-hmm. But what do you mean by more? What do you mean? Like, what do you think? If you're saying that climate change is a hindrance to some future goal, mm-hmm. what is that future goal? I'm I'm a bit I not not to just ascribe myself to one school or whatever, but I don't know. I'm I'm again I'm a sci-fi kid, and mm-hmm. I guess I'm a bit of a muskite, and I I would love to see us as a multi-planet species. I see, I see. And it's not Mars. No. And it's not close, and it's not on the near horizon. Mm-hmm. But climate change is. Definitely. And you think that's sort of stopping that, and you're also talking about leaving a terrible planet for grandkids and things like that, leaving a place that would be uninhabitable and whatever else. Um, I guess my point is, everything that we discuss with climate change is from a selfish human point of view. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm, de- I'm definitely definitely not saying it's wrong. But what I'm saying is it is from a point of view in which we go, okay, so if we stop climate change, humans can then do this. And uh, things can be better for our grandkids and things like that. And this is what I'm saying is one of the more, to get super philosophical, even, sl- yeah, even yeah. slightly separate from climate change, one of the biggest, most important overarching features of society is we want to stop suffering and have people... I guess, as happy as they can be and enjoying life as much as they can. That is one of the goals. Why is racism bad? Because it harnesses suffering. Why is sexism bad? This, that, and the other. So I guess my original point was I think that there is plenty of other facets in society that are important that have a direct correlation with a, a de- sorry a direct result on human suffering and i think that's why tackling climate change isn't just about tackling climate change directly it's about tackling the whole picture and that's i guess what my podcast is more about i'd agree and mm-hmm. i think it's a very useful lens i just i feel like there's a little bit of a mismatch between the the window we've got for the window of opportunity we've mm-hmm. got to make action on this right now, because the thing I can't shake is that every day, every moment right now, we are using a broken tool mm. and it's causing damage in a way it wasn't intended to, mm-hmm. or it was never thought out properly as a tool to begin with. And so if you imagine a plow and you, and you imagine that plow is the entire world economy, largely capitalist, but I mean, we're a lovely quilt on this planet and everybody works differently. <laughs> yes. But but largely this this plow is, is human activity on this planet. And right now it's cutting at a bit of an angle and every so often it nicks our leg mm. and we're bleeding. And every time we use this plow, we just bleed a little bit more and a little bit more. And up and down that plow, there's a bit of rust here, and there's a, a splinter in the handle, which is causing mm. some irritation there. And those are all the societal problems inside the species. They are suffering. Mm-hmm. They are inequality. They are gender disparity, mm-hmm. sexism, racism. And we could take time to fix those. But meanwhile, the plow is bleeding us out. Mm. And we're just cutting ourselves every day. Mm-hmm. And to me, the only, the only thing we need as a human race to fix a problem is time. Mm-hmm. And I think nothing is more pressing and shortening our time. Shortening our time is a good way change. to look at it. Yeah. 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 So you say that you know, we approach climate change from a very kind of selfish perspective. Mm-hmm. 
I disagree. Well, everything we do as humans for survival is somewhat selfish, right? Definitely, mm. definitely. I'm not, I'm not saying that anybody is, is what is it called? Not a, a uh, what's to be like completely a, I know there's a word, I was completely <laughs> blanking on it. Yeah, you're not, you're, um, completely not benevolent, completely unselfish. What's the word for that? Not like, true. A, yeah. Yeah. We we can never be completely unmotivated, and there's a better word for it. That's right at the tip of my tongue. I can't remember <laughs> it right now, and it's bugging me. Um, but if if you include care for future generations, which is our base biological imperative, yes. it's our driving thing. We want progeny. We want the race to continue. We want the species. No, I shouldn't say race. We want the species to continue. Mm-hmm. I guess that's selfish, and I'll grant that, and I'll say yes. Care about climate change is is very selfish. But every other problem we're facing doesn't pose a threat to the continuance of the species. Mm. This one does. Mm-hmm. Nuclear disarmament in the 50s and 60s did. Mm-hmm. Because not only those weapons existed, there were multiple times they were nearly used. That was a much, that was destruction on a much shorter time span. Yeah. But just as final as climate change. Because I, while I, I'm a huge... Like, if we were 10, 20 years down the road, I'd be a survivalist. And I may still be in my life. Mm. Like, I, I believe in humanity's ability to adapt and cope with extreme situations and extreme fluxes. Like, we've dealt with little ice ages. We've dealt with world wars. Mm-hmm. We've, we've had Japanese soldiers found on islands in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, our, our ability to continue is staggering. But as individuals, like, societies can fall apart and 90% of populations can die very quickly mm-hmm. you got vesuvius you got you know pompeii you got an asteroid that can hit the earth got an asteroid that can hit the earth absolutely mm. it wouldn't that be kind of neat right you know that'd be like all of our emissions wouldn't mean a lot versus an asteroid <laughs> well we fix climate change and then the next day there's <laughs> some weird that's irony right. about that that's right and, and i don't the sad thing is we we talked about this earlier once we have an ability or a capacity to do something we inevitably do it mm. Because oil exists, and we have found enough oil reserves on this planet that if we burned all the oil reserves, this is like the best stat to ever come from 350, this big divestment movement. It's it's like one of the most famous groups out there. And and Bill McKibben, leader of 350, says oil companies really need to stop counting their oil reserves as an asset, mm. thinking they can be extracted and burnt. Because if we burnt all extant ex- discovered yeah. oil reserves on the planet— our climate would resemble more Venus than Earth's today. Yeah, that would be an issue. Yeah, and yet it's an asset. This is this is why Exxon, BP, Shell are still billion-dollar companies, on the belief that that can be burnt, mm. that can be extracted, that can be used, and it's it's simply not. No. So I, I'm not sure quite where I'm going with that exactly, but like... That was an important point to make regardless. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the potential's there. Yes. But the potential is right now not only existing, but being treated like it's an okay action. Yeah, definitely. Like, we're, we're destroying the planet today. Definitely. We did yesterday, and we still will be yeah. tomorrow. I definitely think, though, again, trying to be positive again... Um, <laughs> please, please. <laughs> I definitely think that younger generations are caring much more about it and it might not be um in a way that you might care about it or a way that i might care about it but it's definitely in 
the younger generation's mind to a certain degree and definitely more than it had been in the last 50 years, something like that. Um, so I, I think I'd like to think that that is positive to some degree that maybe they're going to start to make more choices that are beneficial. Um, maybe those the next genius, the next Elon Musk or whoever is walking among us and he's 12 years old at the moment. Maybe because that is in the back of his mind, he's going to start to think about solutions and technological um, things that we can do to try and help out. I guess that's one positive thing to take from it. That's true. Mm. I mean, we can all have a savior mentality. That's absolutely fine, yeah. Connor. That's always useful. <laughs> uh, it's true. It's true to an extent. I didn't it's... necessarily mean it's a savior mentality. But... <laughs> Not just I to mean, chuck we do a new need label those people. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. And I'm thank not God that for them. One thing I'd say about sort of the generational aspect of it is that a lot of people live today like they live in the same time as their parents. And that's how their parents raised them. Mm. You know, because society is largely similar. We've got new technology, but we still got the same political apparatus as our Mm. parents. It's largely a continuation. And the scary thing about that is that, you know, look at a, a classic 1960s American nuclear family. Dad went off to work at GE's, an engineer. He'd work Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. Mm. Come home, play with the kids, have a barbecue on the weekends, whatever. What he achieved during his working life is what his children are striving for. And the best case, they will exceed. Probably they will meet. And worst case is they, they don't quite reach that. Mm. But what that father's working life succeeded in was profit for a corporation was was benefits for himself great so he can live out you know his post 65 retirement years in in pretty useless like like doing nothing good lack of utility mm. you know the the promise of hey let's let's go do a job for 40 hours a week till I'm 65 so I can do whatever mm. and then now the kids are doing it and they if if they're re- able to listen to it, we're able to tell them that the result of the father's working life did nothing good for society, Mm -hmm. was in fact a giant destructive act that him, not so much individually, again, diffused responsibility, Mm -hmm. but magnified out, has caused already a one degree raise in the temperature of the entire planet, Mm -hmm. is causing Pacific Islands to go underwater right now. It's causing the biggest wildfires in Californian history. Mm. It's causing record heat waves across Europe. It's causing wildfires in the Arctic Circle. And the kids want to do that job too. Mm. Why? Because that's success. Yeah. And that's being a good person. Yeah, I think that goes down to what I was saying about we need to change the way that we... um society runs just questioning what success is because that definitely is a big thing about you're successful when you earn a lot of money the reality is most of the time not always obviously not always but most of the time when you are earning money usually it is from some sort of direct result of hardcore capitalism which is buying selling throwing it out buying selling throwing it out i think that comes down to again having to change actually the way society sort of works but i think it's hard too because um it's hard being a human it's hard being a person and i'd rather be a human than any other organism but it is i i'd like to be a cat sometimes they (laughs) seem to be pretty easy but but just again opportunity right and and potential true like what what do you have you only think that because you are a human true true but show me a cat painting 
Yeah. <laughs> but if you were a fly, you'd probably be quite happy with this. <laughs> Look at this masterpiece yeah. <laughs> of masticated food I'm now sucking up through my proboscis. Hell but yes. What I mean is it's hard being a human in the way that um, you've been provided with a certain brain. You know, you've like you said, you've had an upbringing from your parents in a certain way. Um, you have all these societal pressures. You have these emotions that you don't really know how to deal with. You know, you have anger, you have sadness, you want romance, you want all these things. It's hard to sort of look outside the box of, I just want to work and try and, you know, not even from a selfish perspective. It's hard to just, for some people, it's hard just to live. You know, just to live on a day-to-day basis, it's difficult. So it's 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 hard because, you know, again, back to the same thing, said it a thousand times now, but diffusion and responsibility, it is difficult for an individual who is just scraping by to even think about the consequences of the world when they're on, arguably on death's door anyway, you know? That's true. Mm. If, you know, if, if not for the sake of this week's paycheck, a lot of people would yeah. be going hungry. Definitely. Um I think you're completely right that it's hard to be a human, and I, I have a problem sometimes of discounting that and mm. sort of losing track of that reality in the mm. conversation, which is the the task I've set for myself of trying to be a communicator on this and understanding people's different perspectives to to try to spread those perspectives so that the most useful and most effective one will mm-hmm. find the right target audience to try to mobilize more action on this. I think I, I lose track of that at my own peril, and as soon as I do, the conversation becomes very less useful. Yes, absolutely. Um, it it is, but that the, there is no gold standard no. of sustainability, and there's no you must be this sustainable. No yeah, 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 yeah. And I call it uh, the purity test a lot when I'm I'm around environmental groups and as an outsider, I'm very new to this stuff. Mm. Now, it's only been a few months ago I started acting rather than talking about it. And I've got a long way to go. I, you know, I I always like this when I hear people talking about it. I like them to do a little bit of an inventory so I don't feel like they're either don't have the standing mm. to tell me. You're like, yeah, I, I haven't taken a flight since I got serious about this stuff. And if the opportunity comes up to take a flight, I won't fly unless I can offset it. And offsetting has a whole bunch of problematic well, aspects yeah. to it absolutely yeah. my first preference is to take a train granted here regional trains are diesel trains yeah but i i for i don't know i i somehow feel less guilty for doing that mm-hmm. don't have a car anymore i'll use thank god the this renewable powered tram lines that helps here yeah. in melbourne which is great um and take my bike yeah i've got recycling at home I've started taking my food scraps to a local community garden, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. Um, where I was starting with this is you don't have to do all that stuff from day one. Mm-hmm. You don't have to start doing everything straight away. And nobody is at the same level as anybody else. Yeah. So you just have to think, like, if, if you want to do something, if, if anything that I've said is, is compelling at all, that, like, the danger is real. The damage we are all doing right now is real, and the fact that what could be a very existential moment for the species is only a couple decades away. Mm -hmm. If you want to do something now, just do the things you can, because that's not going to solve it. No. That's going to send a message. Yep. That's going to make it okay for more people to do it. You won't be the weird one taking their 
reusable bags in the supermarket, which as of a month ago is now standard, whereas before it was weird. Yeah, so that's the way it moves. <laughs> it yeah. can move quickly. It can, can. with yeah. a lot of pushback and people not Calls. wanting to change. Absolutely. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. Yeah, a lot of it's things. hilarious. It's so bad. Really, really is. And we, I think, for Coles to do it, that was extremely confronting because they have no authority to stand on. No. There was no conversation. It was just a, and yeah, get on the government for doing it. But there, where's the, the public awareness campaign about that? I don't mm. even know how you run a public awareness campaign no. these days. You know, nice. how, how, you know, this should be a topic on your show. Just like, how does society work in this day and age when no one's reading the same stuff? No one's doing the same. It's so broad. That's it's right. So incredibly broad, and uh, different avenues as well, different types of media. It's like we're um, all reading the yellow pages, yeah, but all a different page, yeah, and we all expect to have cohesion. Different things, yeah, exactly. Like I was in the Vietnamese section. I assumed we were all Vietnamese. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, You're in Richmond. Well, that's been a, a few ramblings for me. It's it's been really good, Connor, to get mm. to like unpack a lot of because I've got a lot of assumptions and I've got a lot of of sort of constructed thoughts that I think make sense. And and especially in environmental circles, mm. and probably in any circle, you develop that shorthand and you've got a vocabulary. Yeah, and you're exchanging these words that have such big meaning. So, you know. Late stage capitalism. I know it's like a real big buzzword right now. And, and we touched on it and I didn't say it. And I'm very happy I did because it's like hashtag YOLO yeah, yeah. For, for everything now. But a lot of these constructs have such such potential meaning behind it. And definitely. I think we don't use them that way. No, I think that's pretty realistic. Yeah. Um, and I, I definitely think with any sort of language, talking, discussing, just being a human, we get so many hang-ups and we get so many associations about things that we think are right and they might the idea might be there and it might be going towards the direction the right direction sorry but um it's always good to uh sort of have a look at why sorry how other people think because then you can actually question why you think that thing and understand a little bit more about if it's true or not yeah yeah that's it entirely mm. and um I, I got a lot out of this conversation. It was really good to be able to unpack those things, just like you said. But I admit I, I had an ulterior motive in wanting to talk to you good. like this. I was trying to, to bring over to my side of like, there is nothing more important than trying to engage climate change mm -hmm. in some way, I think, for the time we live in. It sounds like maybe I wasn't successful in that. So maybe I need to rethink my entire premise. No, I, I it's not that you weren't successful. I just, um, I think that the idea of the method of doing it that I have might be different to yours. And I think I am doing it in the way that I think is the correct method. If yeah. that sort of makes sense. It does completely. <laughs> yeah, if that sort it of makes sense. I think, I think we're both podcasting for public good. Yeah, definitely. I think we yeah. both have like the Venn diagram there yeah, is, is yeah. pretty much a circle. Yeah. Um, and you're right. I think you're, what you're doing with <clears throat> showing people you can have conversations about anything from a place of scientific rigor mm -hmm. and, and logical thinking, mm. but also very approachable. Like, you Definitely. Know, we're not, yeah. we're a couple normal looking dudes. Yeah. You wouldn't think we're, we're boffins or anything, uh -huh. which I'm not sure if anyone knows. You know, this is like, a, <laughs> again, World War II, I need a new source <laughs> <Yeah>. of references. <laughs> but, you know, the, the British engineers working on, like, yeah. you know, jet engines and stuff. You know, the guys with pocket protectors and yeah, slide rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but without jumping down, like, too big of a rabbit hole at the very end of the podcast, um, I also... For me as well, I've got sort of a big thing about, I guess, 
uh, it goes back to even what you said about the way you were brought up about just the concept of free will and how much control some of us uh, even have about our choices around climate change. It's something I think about a lot. And like what you're saying, everybody's explosive climate change. However, I think some of these people that don't believe in it, I think they genuinely don't believe in it. I think that uh, because they've been taught that whatever their political party is saying is true or whatever their parents are saying is true, um, I think they generally, sorry, genuinely don't believe it. I think that's an issue that we need to tackle um, to actually help climate change as well. You know, just the belief, like I said, the scientific belief and understanding more about facts and uh, what they mean as opposed to hanging on to whatever political or emotional or religious reasons that we have. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Mm. So if I could quickly just take a second to, to tell your listeners about my show Please and do. say that's exactly what we are trying to do. It's it's for people who are acknowledging the reality. And, and here I am very much saying, yes, I'm in the camp where. I believe uh, what's we've got a whole complicated scientific name for it, which doesn't really help. But yes, like climate change is a thing. It's largely man-made driven. It's uh, they're anthropomorphic climate change, mm. and we are in the age of the Anthropocene. Yes, we are. All of that. Um, once you believe that, yeah, it's a disquieting place to be. What I'm trying to do in the show is to have conversations with other people that you can be a part of, and you can imagine having that conversation because right now. You're maybe not having a lot of those conversations yourself. You're not sure how to start them. Um, but just being able to talk about this stuff, I think, really helps and um, lets us all carry on in this brief window we've got to potentially change things. And even if we don't, we can say we're the ones who tried. You know, just like people are very proud of the fact they were Vietnam War protesters because they tried to do the right thing. They the, weren't successful the for the right side of years. history, shall we say. That's right. Yeah, yeah, which is a dangerous notion. It is. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy to say I'm trying to be on the right side of history. Uh, so the show is climactic. Uh, you can probably pick out why is because I believe we really do live in climactic times. And again, from like a cli-fi angle, this may very well be the climax of human society. Uh, Two meanings there. That's right. So that's uh, yeah, climactic.fm. Thank you so much, Connor. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please subscribe to us. Go to any of our social media accounts or website. Tell your friends, tell your grandparents, do anything you can do in your power to help us out because it will allow us to continue doing this podcast for everybody, which we greatly appreciate. Thank you for the support and see you next time. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H-E-R-E media.studio.